What we've been doing as a church, for those of you who are visiting, is, is we're going through the book of Genesis. And over the last couple of weeks, um, we have been just kind of set on the area of Noah. We've been looking at Noah and the flood and all the things that that teaches about us. And last week we talked about how um, that picture showed um, a big picture of God's judgment and mercy. Um, in the world and, and just how, how that happened. And then it goes from that part of the story of, God, of God's flood. Then in the next couple of chapters in Genesis, it moves on and records um, something that we look at as kind of trivial maybe. It records over a number of chapters the descendants of Noah through his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And it talks about this guy came out of this family, this guy came out of this family, and it goes on and on and on. And kind of right in the middle of it, there's this parenthesis that God does. And, and the reason I point that out is that you've got to, as you read your word, look for this kind of stuff. Because often God is trying to communicate something that's really important. And he's in the middle of saying this, and all of a sudden he takes a, this uh, a period of time, and he puts a whole bunch of attention onto one man in particular, and about the events relating to one man in particular. And the man that they focus on is a guy by the name of Nimrod. Anybody ever hear of Nimrod before? All right. You've been called a Nimrod. You know, we use it as a, as a, as a slang term. But uh, it's, a, it's a guy in Scripture, a descendant of Noah. And um, I want us to read about him today. Grab your Bible and, and open to Genesis chapter 10. And you're going to find out by the end of this why you don't want to be called his name. Although it's going to start off and you're going to say, hey, he's like a pretty good guy, but we're going we're to learn about this guy today. Genesis chapter 10, starting in verse 8. It says, Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And beginning in, of his kingdom was Babel, and Eric, and Akkad, and Kalana. You know, nice that they don't have names that are easy names like we have, like Oconomowoc, you know, Kiwaskum. You know, our names are no better than these in the land of Shinar. And from that, the land went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh and Rehoboth, Eri and Kelah, and resin between Nineveh and Kelah, that is the great city. And you say, why'd you read the cities? It's going to make sense in a little while. Okay, so that's talked about this guy. Now, slip over in your scriptures to the next chapter, chapter 11, and we're going to read a story that is, that is talking about the development of Babel and something that went on in Babel, and it was something developed under the leadership of this man called Nimrod. So chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used bricks for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name, otherwise we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And think of that, keep that in the back of your mind right there. Verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all the same language, and this is what they began to do. Now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. 
No. That's really an interesting story. You know, and, and as a little aside, and this is a whole sermon in itself, we won't take time to it, if you study that group of people, it really shows what a group of people can accomplish when they work properly together. There's some positives about these people. Matter of fact, you want a good business plan? You want to know how to succeed in life? You can take some of the, the qualities they had. They did some things right. They worked hard. They operated in unity. They had effective communication. And as that business model, they accomplished something so great, or they were accomplishing something so great, that the Lord himself had to come down and intervene in what they are doing. We're going to figure out why in a few minutes. But the story also shows the downfall of these people when God took them and scattered them. Um, it's the downfall of them and their plan. Because their plan, it says in the text, was to build a city with a large tower. And the large tower was probably something that we think of called a ziggurat. Anybody ever know what a ziggurat is? A ziggurat is kind of like a pyramid type building, step sides, triangular shaped. And it is a, a, a tower or a building that, that in ancient times, often, as we look at them now, they were used for, for pagan worship. And these people were building this large city with this large um, tower, probably a ziggurat, with an intention to reach into the heavens, probably with an intention of doing pagan worship. And it says and to do that to make a name for themselves. Now, unfortunately, that plan, as good as they may have thought it was, wasn't God's plan for them. Because God had clearly instructed the descendants of Noah to do something. He had told all of Noah's descendants that when they left the ark and he blessed them and he said, go do something. And remember what it was? He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. Keep scattering across the entire world and fill the entire earth with people. He, did, he, said, he told them not to stop and to build an empire in one place. So God looks at what they're doing. They have this in their mind, great plan. God looks at what they're doing, and he comes out and says, this is not what I asked you to do. I didn't tell you to come and say, let's build a great empire here. So what God does is he derails their plan, he confuses their language, and he scatters them across the globe in order to accomplish his plan, which is to put people around the entire earth. Now that's an interesting story. And there's a component of the story, though, that, that I think that we need to focus on today. And it's not maybe the thing that you would normally think of when you look at this story. I don't want to think about, in any real depth today, the, the how and the why they built the tower, or how come God stopped them. But I want us to focus on the man behind the building. The leader of it all, this guy that we looked at, and we're looking at by the name of Nimrod. Because I think he's got something to say for us, very culturally relevant message to say to us today. You see, on the surface, Nimrod sounds like a great guy. He's a leader, he's a builder, he's a visionary. Look back at chapter 10, the first two verses about him. How would you like this to say about you? Now, Cush became the father of Nimrod, and he became mighty on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. What do we see from that? Nimrod's a famous guy. People quoted him. That's what it's talking about. They quoted him. He was, his, his, his name was like, uh, they would say, I want to be like him. Um, they emulated him. They probably bought his books. You know, if there was the, uh, the Babylonian Times bestseller list, Nimrod's books would be on the top of the list every single, every single month. People looked at Nimrod and they said he's a success. But I want us to think a little deeper about this guy. I want us to look a little deeper today because there is more to him that may meet the eye just at that little, that little um, overview of his life. 
There's a historian that is very well respected by a guy by the name of Josephus. Ever hear of Josephus? We quote him often. Josephus had some things to say about Nimrod. First of all, he said, in case you're saying, well, did Nimrod, because we're going to talk about the Tower of Babel, did Nimrod really, um, was he really involved in that? The historian Josephus says that he was the primary person behind the development of the Tower of Babel in Babylon. But he records something else about Nimrod. He records something that talks about who Nimrod was in his heart, what he thought of, what his, what his worldview was like. And this is what he has to say. He said that Nimrod taught this, and he quotes, you know, the best he could translate is this. He, that Nimrod believed that it is cowardice to submit to God. And it is wrong to praise God for any benefits. Because it was through the courage and the daring of men themselves that all blessings and benefits come. That's the guy we're talking about in this, in this text, Nimrod. That it is cowardice to submit to God. And wrong to praise God for any benefits because it was through the cowardice, uh, through the courage rather, and daring of men themselves that all blessings and benefits come. Doesn't sound like a very great guy. One modern commentator has this to say about Nimrod. I'm going to read a long quote. It says Genesis 10 says Nimrod was the first historic or heroic warrior on earth. Since he was the greatest hunter before the Lord in the world, which always made me like the guy. His name became proverbial. People would say, this man is like Nimrod, the greatest hunter in the world. But what kind of hunter was he? The name Nimrod, Marad, means to rebel or to revolt. We don't really know if he hunted animals or hunted men in order to make them slaves. The word mighty can refer to a warrior and equally to a tyrant. One who prevails and is victorious, gaining dominion over other people. Many think Nimrod rebelled against the government of his day, both men and God. We know that he was a powerful man. He certainly ruled over a large area. So by the time we come to Genesis 11, Nimrod's kingdom is huge, and he begins to build what is known as the Tower of Babel. And it seems Nimrod was like Pharaoh, wanting to build huge structures on slave labor and sets himself up as if in a position of rulership and prominence. So that's what historians and scholars believe about the man called Nimrod. That's his story. Now, I want us to think about that guy today. Because church, I think that Nimrod, as harsh as these things are about saying about him, I think that Nimrod has the spirit and is the picture of many of the people of our current times. That Nimrod is kind of the, the picture of the forerunner of what I would see as many modern-day um, business people, maybe even politicians, who want to build their own empires and are not so concerned about how they accomplish it. They live for money and position and fame and power because those are the things that are commonly used to, to define success in our world today. Things like money and position and fame and power. I believe if Nimrod were alive today, Nimrod would be on the cover of Forbes magazine. And they would be saying, here's one of our most powerful, influential, successful men of the day. I think he's kind of got the spirit of a Warren Buffett, or a Donald Trump, or a, a J.D. Rockefeller. That type, an empire builder. You know, a model of achievement, and in the world's eyes, a model of success. A champion of human ingenuity and strength. He built an empire. And he did it by his own wit. He did it by his own ability, 
no reliance on God, and he saw that, that reliance on God was weakness, and to him, if he could do it on his own, it was strength and success. You know, this is what I think we need to think about today. Because we live in a world where that's the picture of success that's painted for us every single day. And we live in this world where we read our scriptures, but then we, we live in a world where every single day the picture of the Nimrod type guy is held up before us and says, that's what you should become like. You should become like this guy. You should be this picture of success. And I want us to think about and challenge our own thinking today and say, what is our idea of success? What is the commonly held view of success? And what is God's view of success? Because I have found, friends, they are completely different. You see, I don't think God viewed Nimrod as a success. I don't think he did at all. And unless we figure out what success really is, we can spend our entire lives frustrating. Building towers, and our towers all look different. They're not ziggurats, maybe, but they're, they're our own accomplishments. Towers, and building empires, and building lives that lead to confusion and failure in the end, end up just like Nimrod, just failing and falling apart. You see, I believe something. I believe that God, and, it's, and today I hope it's part of this process, that God has designed life in such a way that as we age, that as we ponder, as, as we experience different things, that we come to times when the stuff of life, the ups and the downs, health and sickness, accumulation of stuff and loss of stuff, good investments and bad investments, good relationships and bad relationships, that all the stuff that comprises life brings us to a place where we sit down at the end of the day once in a while and we say, so what? It's not that great. I'm not satisfied. I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. There's got to be something greater. This surely can't be success. You know, there's a very current illustration of this in the media today, and I mean this when I, when I say next very sincerely. I mean no disrespect towards the person I'm going to talk about in just a second. Matter of fact, I have a great deal of sorrow for this man right now, but I think he serves as a representation of this quest to figure out what is real success. And I think he's a picture of every man. Because I think if most people could be given what he had, they'd probably walk down the same path and come to some of the same dead-end streets. The guy I'm thinking about today is somebody who's in the news all the time lately, a guy named Tiger Woods. A lot of you know him. I want you to think about him for a second. He has an estimated worth of about $1 billion. Can you count that high? A billion dollars. He has fame. He had respect, admiration, an incredibly beautiful wife, incredibly beautiful children, every imaginable thing money could buy, everything the world can offer, the epitome of what the world would say is success. But obviously what he has and what he had has not satisfied because he has looked to gain some satisfaction in a most primal way having relationships with, with many other beautiful women other than his wife. And don't get, let's not be too hard on the guy. He's no different than many people have been through all of history. All the way back to King Solomon's time, people who looked through life and tried to say, how do I find some happiness? How do I find a, a, a satisfaction in my life? Because what the world says is success isn't working, have come to, kind of tried some of the same things. King Solomon, thousands of years earlier, said, you know what, I'm going to try to find success. And one of the things he did was act just like Tiger. 
It's just a quest to find something that means anything and hoping to bring fulfillment or pleasure when the world's definition of success has left you feeling empty. It's a cry saying there has to be something more to life because bigger and more and better have not equaled success, real success, in the heart of man. It's an experience that's common to all mankind. We long for stuff. We strive for stuff. We get stuff. We accumulate stuff. We accomplish things. And we end up feeling like we have nothing worthwhile. And so we ask, shouldn't I be happy by now? We ask, shouldn't I be content by now? And we say, there's got to be something more. You know, I think that's the, that's the world that Nimrod was living in. There's got to be something more. Friends, you want to know something? There is something more. Noah found it. We looked at Noah the last three weeks. Noah found the something more. Do you remember from the last three weeks, we said there was one sentence that defined Noah's life. Do you remember what it was? And Noah walked with God. Noah found that the only thing from heaven and earth that could satisfy, the one thing that was beyond the destruction of a worldwide flood, was God himself. Noah found success. It wasn't tied to getting more. It wasn't tied to climbing higher because there wasn't a, a mountain you could climb that was high enough of achievement or physically you could climb that was high enough that could keep you and have any, mean anything when all the world was wiped out. Noah found that real success was found in really walking with God. You know what? Noah wasn't alone in finding that. I mentioned him earlier, and I want to think about him for a while now. King Solomon found the same thing. Have you read the book of Ecclesiastes? The book of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. And you know why it is? I think the book of Ecclesiastes is written for the middle-aged person who's going to go through, a, through an identity crisis. They want, to buy a, they want to buy a sports car. They want to quit their job. They want to have a young, younger woman, a younger man. I think the book of Ecclesiastes is written exactly for people in Nimrod's position and in our position in a world where we have so much access to so much stuff and we gain it all and we say there's got to be more. And in, in, in Solomon, in Ecclesiastes, records his quest to try to figure out, is there more? Is there anything that could bring satisfaction and success to life? Think about Solomon with me for a minute. He, he owned more than anyone else had ever owned before him. He was wiser, according to scriptures, than anyone else ever was before him. He did everything that he could dream of in an attempt to find real success, and that's recorded in the book of Ecclesiastes. He built empires. He had thousands of women and concubines. He said he partied his... It was interesting. He said he would party and drink, but always keep his sense about him. He thought, could that give him any satisfaction? He planted gardens. I think it's interesting that it points that out. You know what he did? He moved out of the city, and he moved out to, I don't know, Random Lake or... Uh, um, <laughs> Cedar Grove, that's what I'm looking for. I pick on Cedar Grove a lot. Cedar Grove, I shouldn't think of it. And they move out in the country and they say, if I can just get out here and have my 10 acres and have my little house and, and have my gardens and my trees, maybe I'll be happy. You know, he studied all the philosophies of his day and his conclusion was this. 
He said, it's all striving after wind. Imagine that. He had everything. He did everything. He tried it all, and it all led to emptiness and feelings of futility. And I believe he felt like Tiger Woods feels. So at the end of his quest for success, he concludes something, and in his conclusion is our answer. In his conclusion, I'm so glad that in the book of Ecclesiastes, he didn't stop with the confusion. He didn't stop and say, you know what, I just gave it up. It's all striving after wind. It's worthless. Life can't have any success in it. But that's not what he said. He said there is an answer. And it's the very last couple of verses in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. He says, the conclusion. This is the conclusion of his, of his incredible quest to try to find anything that satisfies. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or whether it is evil. That's his conclusion. The guy who does it all, the wisest man to ever live, other than Christ probably, his conclusion after trying it all says, when all has been heard is, fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. He says that's where success lies. True success, church, is coming to an understanding of the greatness of God and finding your place before Him. That's where true success lies. It's coming to understand the greatness of God, fearing God, and finding your place before Him, doing His commandments, figuring out how do I live in relationship to this one true God. Friends, that's what Noah had found out. He had figured out, you know what? I'm going to just walk with God. And when everything else is destroyed, i got the one thing that lasts. Solomon figured it out. He said, I tried it all, and, I, and it made me temporary pleasure, but it didn't bring me any fulfillment, but I found the way to find fulfillment. He didn't say it can't be accomplished. He said it's accomplished by a right walk with God. He said the way you figure it out, the way you find success, is really to come to understand the greatness of God and finding your place before Him. Friends, that's what Nimrod missed. Because empire building still leads to emptiness in the end. The biggest empire, eventually you can't rule anymore. And that's what, that's what uh, Solomon figured out. He said, what good does it do to build and accomplish all this stuff? And I like it this way. He says, because a fool's going to get it after you die. Now, I'm not saying we don't build and accomplish. Because God's going to give you plans and dreams to build and accomplish. There's nothing wrong. There's very right in doing great things in this world. But if you think those things in themselves are going to bring you happiness, bring you satisfaction, bring you success, you're wrong. That's what Nimrod thought. But you know what? His empire came to an end. But coming to understand the greatness of God and finding our places before Him, that's all that really matters. And King Solomon discovered that in the end, what we have or what we achieve really means little. But what does matter is that a day of reckoning is coming and every one of us will stand before the Lord. So friends, in all our days from now until then, we live our lives knowing that real success is only found in placing priority and effort into a daily, genuine relationship with the God 
of eternity. You know what it is? Jesus said it this way. It's honestly loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It goes beyond religion. It goes beyond coming to church on Sunday morning. It goes beyond memorizing a couple of creeds. It's having a life where I say, God, am I really living my life in such a way that I'm putting my energy, my, my priorities, my efforts into honestly coming to understand you and be in a right relationship with you? Friends, as we end today, I want us to think about something. I want us to ask ourselves a question. Are we really spending our days and our energies running after the things that will only slip away? Or are we spending our days and our energies running after God? Because the wisest man in the world said there's only one that will bring success, running after God. Noah figured it out. There's only one way that works, running after God. And here's my hope today. My hope today is that maybe today is one of those days of dissatisfaction in our lives. One of those days of dissatisfaction where we look around, we say, I've been working my tail off. Is this all there is? And we say, God, there's got to be more. And God says, there is. I've been telling you about it in the book. Solomon gave us the answer. It's to find the greatness of God. To really, not just to say, oh, you know what, this drives me crazy. Oh, he's a big man upstairs. He's not the big man upstairs, friends. He's God. He's everything. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of life. And he has made it possible for us to come into a relationship with him. And we've put our energies into figuring that relationship out and living it out while we have our breath in our lungs in the earth. So maybe today can be one of those days of dissatisfaction that will lead us to action, that will say, I want to change some priorities. I want to put my energies into things that will last. And that's one thing, going hard after God. The Bible says this very clearly. If you seek me, you will find me. And this is what I know, God is not a liar. If you seek me, you will find me. Would you stand with me this morning?